0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Northeast scene. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing? Welcome. Welcome to another virtual episode. We may not be able to go outside, but we can still bring you the show on Skype. And today, we have a very, very special guest. Now, this is someone we planned to interview. We were all going to get together. Our friend was getting married. Sadly, that event has been canceled due to the coronavirus. But... As I said in the last episode, the show must go on. So, please welcome a very good friend of ours, a mu- accomplished musician, accomplished chess player, all-around wonderful person, Vadim Taver.
1: <laughs> mathematician. Add oh. that to the list. Mathematician.
2: And mathematician. I don't know about, don't know about accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> Vadim, how's it going? It's great, guys. Great to talk to you.
0: Yes. Thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, We're really looking forward to this. So I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, The question we like to ask everybody, Vadim, tell us how you first got into hardcore and some of the bands and the shows that made an initial impression on you.
2: Mm, That's a great question. Um, So I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia um, from second grade, basically from when we moved to the United States, my family from Ukraine and then, um, until high school, um, early high school. And, uh, I had a next door neighbor. His name is Brian Kentorek. Um, he goes by BK. He's a Philly dude. He used to play in a band called Ubisunt and he, um, yeah, he kind of introduced me to the whole thing. He, um, I was, you know, I, I'm like four years younger than him, which now doesn't make any difference whatsoever, you know, but like, Back then it was such a big thing cuz I was yeah I was in middle school and here is this high school kid next door and he plays guitar and and like he you know he's so cool. He took me to um a bunch of local shows that they played and then he also took me to a big hardcore show um that they uh opened at Beaver College in Philadelphia and that was with H2O and they were just playing their first album And then a band called Bound, which is um, Jason Chevchuk before he was in Kid Dynamite. And then Step Ahead, which had Dave House, you know, before Loved Ones and Pain in Black and stuff. And then like Fury of Five played and stuff. I don't really remember anything about um, most of the bands, to be honest with you, except for Ubisunt and Step Ahead and H2O, because... Brian made me a a mixtape that had the first H2O record on one side of the cassette and then um, the Ashes full length on the other side of the cassette. And I was like, I just would go crazy for those. But he, yeah, he, he got me into everything. He, I think he first zoned in on the fact that I liked Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. I was like this little like MTV kid and he knew I liked Nirvana. And so like he made me a mix that had, it had like Inside Out because that was Zach And, you know, he, like, typed up all the information for me. I had, like, Faith No More on it and and some Slayer. But then he threw in, like, Gorilla Biscuits into there. And and he would, like, sneak in 108 and all this kind of stuff. So, he is definitely 100% responsible for for getting me into hardcore. And I just slowly kind of grew into there when I – especially when I moved to Bucks County – um at
0: the end of 1996 cool yeah inside out was one of my gateway bands too and they're a good one because everyone liked rage against the Machine. so it's like hey here's this guy's other band
2: yeah and and it's funny because musically right away i was like yes this is so heavy this is great but then like the screaming i think you mentioned it in one of your earlier episodes it takes a little bit of time to really get used to how aggressive the screaming is even though zach like screamed a little bit in rage, he didn't scream like nearly as much as like how he did in Inside Out. But after a while, it was just like, "Yes, this
1: rules!" Exactly. <laughs> it was Ubisoft the uh Pete Buckley's band too? Yes.
2: Yeah, so that's what I was going to mention. How everything sort of came back around because that band, Ubisoft, um, you know, Brian got me into the band. He was the guitar player, and then also this guy Colin played guitar too. And by the way, both of those guys went on to be in a band called Go for the Throat, which were like really really great philadelphia band but the singer of ubisunt his name is pete buckley he ended up starting the uh the philly record label break even records that put out the first this day forward album so it's kind of so funny how all that came around because i knew pete years and years and years before everybody else in this day forward did you know before he released their record i knew him
0: at least like three or four years before everybody else Wow. See, I yeah, I only knew him as the break-even guy. So that's that's interesting. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, because he did the first uh, audience of one, and the first this day forward, and the first a life once lost.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and
2: and uh, it's 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 sort of funny. I uh, like a kind of like I felt like he should have been an alumni of Nishamani High School or something because he was just like releasing like every band Nishamani put out. You know, Bassana too because they were from our school. Yeah. yeah.
0: So were you in any band Now I I first met you when A Life Once Lost formed and started playing shows Had you been in any bands in the area before that I was um
2: nothing really really crazy there there was one band that that was really funny called Dislike and we played a couple shows at the Trihampton YMCA with, like, some of the hardcore bands. Like, we played with Scarred for Life, um, you know, Mike Migliacci's old band. And then, and then we we played with uh, Makeshift, which was Colin's old band. So it's, kind of, so, it's kind of funny. Like, we did share a stage with those guys, but we were definitely, like, sort of, like, on on, on the fringe of, I guess, what you would call, like, punk hardcore music, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that A Life Once Lost was really the first band that I took incredibly seriously as far as like trying to play out all the time. And um, yeah, so you you saw like my first, like I guess I would call like my first like real band that played out and did all that
0: kind of stuff. Right. So let's talk about the initial formation of A Life Once Lost. Now, I remember, I don't think I knew you at all before that or TJ or Rich or anybody in the initial lineup. But I heard Bob Meadows was going to be fronting a band. Now, everyone knew Bob because he booked shows in the area, so I was like, I remember just thinking, oh, Bob's going to be in a band, oh, that's wild. And then I think I met all of you guys maybe at your first show, which may have been at Doug's house, the, the famed uh, Doug stock, which was, which was cut short. So how did, how did the band come together? Like, How did you decide, like, how did the initial members come together, how did, how did that start?
2: Man, um, I'm actually glad you you asked that story because it's of like a it's such a Bucks County story. Um, <laughs> so one, of, you know, some of the local legends around l- late '90s, like '97, '98, were um, this band called Life sick Life. Yes, um, who who was a really popular band, and then Suburban Hoods and sub- Suburban Hoods. I've seen open like really big hardcore shows you know even though that oftentimes they were in in bucks county like it just kind of seemed like maybe they were like the draw or whatever but um they've played a few like they played with like better than a thousand and and ten yard fight and i've seen them a bunch so life Sick life were playing their final show at the levittown ymca they were breaking up and and that was a show with life Sick life and suburban Hoods. so i was like oh, of course i'm going to go to that show this is in the summer of 1998 and um, I didn't really know those guys at all, aside from just seeing them play live. And after the show ended, like Life Sick Life headlined, they they finished their set, we're done. Luke still has his drum set up. Luke Carmen was the, the drummer of Leipzig Life Sick yes. Life. And then I'm just hanging around, um, as teenagers do when shows are over. <laughs> and And this kid sits down on Luke's drums and starts playing. And he's like, He's like killing it on the drums. He's like this like little like scrawny dude, like no more than 13 years old, which by the way, I found out he was 13 years old. Wow. (laughs) And, and this is TJ DeBloy. And like at 13 years old, he was already just amazing. Like, I just look at this dude and, and, and like, you know, me being me, I'm like, I got to talk to this dude. I need to start a band with this guy. That's it that there was like mission that's a perfect opportunity yes so i so he got off the drums and i I found out i guess he knew luke i don't know maybe he took like even a drum lesson from him or something it wasn't like he just like randomly sat down on his kit but um just that him sitting down on luke's kit is the reason for me coming up to him and i would never have known this guy or, or known he played drums so I was like, hey, man, what's up? And and he was actually with Rich Arnold. So it was the three of us we all met on the same day. We took a walk to Taco Bell and, <laughs> and uh, made made plans to get together in TJ's mom's basement and, and write some music. And that's basically how it started. It was the three of us. Um, I brought on this one guitar player from the Chamonix that kind of didn't really work out. And then Doug had moved my junior year of high school. He was a sophomore. So this is, yeah, it's still 98 and, and I met him, I, I guess I just kind of like saw him in the halls uh, and he looked like a, like, a metal, like a metal dude that I should be friends with. So I brought him on because I found out he played guitar. So it was the four of us and we were jamming a bunch of songs for a little while and then um, we had a show booked. So it was like your, your typical, like, like Keith, you know all about this, like booking the show before you have a
0: band. Yeah.
2: You know, a situation. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you know, another,
0: figure, another thing I would do but I I didn't know how shit worked back then, so I would just email bands and invite them to play shows. I didn't even book like, I, just crazy stuff like that. So it's,
2: so this was a, this was a straight phone call because I knew there was a show happening at the Lansdowne Friends School. In, yeah, in um, you know, in Pennsylvania, and and this day forward, an audience of one were actually playing the show. So I got oh, this no, dude no, Lansdowne, exa- yeah, Lansdowne Friends School. So I, I called that dude. His name was B J. Just off of a flyer or something and i was like hey dude you don't know me but like you're doing this show and uh, like all our friends are playing i swear please put us on the show <laughs> Just, <laughs> like
1: that dude like, had a band I what's remember, your band uh, name uh, uh i don't down know below that dude that <laughs> yeah, dude yeah fire down below that dude up. bj i remember exactly.
2: that hilarious exactly so so he you know was actually really nice and you know there's this is back when, like, hardcore shows already had, like, nine or ten bands. And he's like, sure, why not? Let's add a fucking 17th band to this show. Why not? So, that's that was first a Life On Sloth show. But um, we didn't have a singer. So, when we had this show approaching, we were like, okay, let's get our shit together. Like, we need to figure it out. And we actually got together with Mike Migliacci a few times. He was the original Life On Sloth singer. But I think it was before we were even using the name... A life once lost, and then, and then, as a, like a week before the show or something, he lets us know, "Oh, I'm not gonna be able to make it." And we're like, "Oh my god, you got to be kidding me! Like, where, what the fuck, what the fuck are we gonna do?" So, I had met Bob earlier that summer um, through a mutual friend. We went to see Converge and Boys It's Fire at the Stalag, which was which was my first Stalag show, and and um, you know, we got to talking about music and stuff, and. Like you said, I think he already did a couple shows. He wasn't really doing shows like regularly at that time. He may have done like one or two Palanca Park shows, yeah. Um, and then I think that that one church in Ben Salem. But he wasn't. He definitely wasn't doing shows regularly at that point. But I was. I you know I called him up and I was like, Hey Bob, so you know I have a band. We're doing the show. Our singer kind of bailed. Do you have any interest? And so he came to practice i think he practiced with us maybe once like literally one time and he had i remember lyrics just like on sheets of paper yeah and then we played the show and he was he had the sheets of paper that he was holding like while he was screaming like it was like no like <laughs> it wasn't like a music stand like he was literally no, just like, holding pieces like paper. screaming yeah <laughs> like i don't even know if they were printed or if they were written out but that was the first of life on sauce show. It was just there's a video of it somewhere my friend filmed it i i don't know ex- at all where it is but i remember that rich and i were both wearing um straight edge shirts and <laughs> mine per- mine particularly said feasterville straight edge i remember making that and so silly to like look back on that now. But yeah, that was how a life once lost began. That was the start of yeah, it. Yeah, I
0: remember when that band started and it was, you know, we knew this I knew this Day Ford and Mike Shaw and Pat McCormick and that that band, those guys got me into hardcore and this Day Ford was kind of my baseline. So, A Life Once Lost was the next band that popped up of people that I knew and I remember thinking like, "Whoa." Like cuz, you know, this Day Ford when they first got together, it was pretty straight-ahead hardcore. And I, when I saw Life Once Also, I was like, oh, man, these guys are, like, really bringing it. Because, y- you know, you had... It was, like, more metallic. And there was there was a little more, like, finger-picking and, like, tricks with guitar and, and a little more technical prowess. So I was like, wow, these guys are, like... These guys are really bringing it. And I just remember the live shows being great. And there was kind of... Now, when that band... Initially, this day forward and a life once lost were friends they would play gigs together their their first tour quote unquote was together remember the weekend up in northern New York I think it was Albany and somewhere else
2: Yeah, can I interject just for one second yes. because I was just telling I was just telling Katie about that weekend because th- this was on um, I think you're a year older than me right but this was on my um winter break senior year. Yeah mine and mine and Gary's because we were the babies in in uh this day forward and and a life on we were in the same year but that um winter weekend tour was like our first experience of being on the road and the two bands together plus all of our friends you know like you I remember I was telling Katie how we stayed in this one house in Wilkesbury after our show at the home base yeah. and how you guys just kept doing that one joke that the like, everyone would just yeah you were doing the Mm, can here for some bu- I can't even do it like with the the, the rich, rich guy the rich voice, voice like
0: oh some bubbly yeah. for me and my friends yeah and we kept and doing it trying- and we were
2: trying after a while we were trying to fall asleep everyone's like okay this joke's been going on for cuz every time someone would say something it would be really funny and everyone starts laughing and we're all crammed into this one room there's like you know 15 bodies on the ground trying to sleep and then every, every now and then someone would still bust out with the voice and people would laugh. And like, this is like three in the morning, four in the morning or like everyone. And then I think at one point it was either you or Pat and you did the voice and Doug just got up and just started pounding. Yeah. <laughs> like just shut the, shut the fuck up. To <laughs> that was me.
0: That was me. Doug got up and ran across the room and like punched me in the head. And then I, th- I think i I think I may have stopped it. I don't know if I did.
2: My recollection, though, was like it was in the yes. dark. it was like, complete you know, like, black because ever, oh, everyone, oh. everyone, everyone, it was already like lights out, and everyone's just trying to go to
1: bed. And I just hear like someone like
2: get up, run across the room, and just start pounding on you like shut the fuck. up. Was
1: this the tour when the the wheel fell off the van too? No, that's um, not. That was the end of the of the end tour. We okay, can, we can get to
2: that later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that that was that was both bands first tour experience i remember those shows being a lot of fun and and yeah so tell us about tell us about the writing of the first a life once lost record now, i remember being in the studio when bob was recording vocals for it and he was going back and forth with uh, vince trying to find the right tones and just just tell us about some of the history going into that album. Now, I remember Rob from Loudnut, he put out that first record, right?
2: Yeah, so we did a demo first. We did five songs with uh, Vince at Skylight, and... One of the songs, funny enough, had Anthony on back of vocals, which was completely just like unplanned. I'm pretty sure he just happened to show up at the studio and we just had him scream. Like, I don't even think he had any set vocal patterns or anything. Like, he just would just do random shit. And we're like, cool, we'll have a second singer. Cause you guys, you know, you did an uh, All Else Failed interview and like, you know, like having two singers in the band seemed like the hot shit. So we're like, oh, let's have a track with. Two singers just completely not working with each other. That was, just, <laughs> I mean, that was that was the last nonsense.
0: song on the demo, right? That
2: Anthony was on. I I don't remember the um the sequence, but but we we, we felt comfortable um with Vince, and so we yeah we went back there. Um, Rob from Loudnet reached out that he was going to help pay for the recording. I I don't really remember how much we spent on it, but yeah, we we did our our music there. As far as like. Writing the music, to be honest with you, like if I'm gonna be com- completely real, I mean we were just ripping off Converge and and some Dillinger, and you know you know what I mean. Like there was no structure to any of those songs. Like if I go back and listen to it now, it, it's almost like comical to me. And like I'm sorry, you know, for people that like that shit or or listen to it, but I mean it's like a Life Once Lost became a much better band after i left because that early stuff it was just like riff after riff after riff you know just like part after part and there's no cohesiveness like a lot of times there's not even transitions like it would just be like okay let's play this fucking part and then all right tj now count off
0: one two three four next part
2: (laughs) yeah and then and then next part like doesn't fit whatsoever, you know. So like, most of that shit was written like that. It was like, oh, I've got seventeen new riffs. Okay, let's throw ten of them together into one song, without any sort of like. <laughs> there's nothing cohesive about it. It's
1: just everything was just thrown together. It, it, you can yeah. hear it though when you listen to it. Uh, there's times where it's just like you hear it and you just go, why is this stopping? And then a breakdown comes out of nowhere, and you're like, all right. What is
0: it? <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because I went back and listened to one of the old songs. I don't remember, but. It literally t j just keeps counting off new parts, it's like one, two, three, four part, one, two, three, four part yeah. it's a, yeah,
2: and that's and that's what you do when you're you know sixteen, seventeen years old, exactly. writing metal music from converge, like at least at least like they knew some songwriting they they would go back to parts or they would have like motifs and things, but like still, like they're responsible, i think, in, uh for all these bands just writing ridiculous music that's that's just one way. Like, you just start at part A, and then you end at part Z, and <laughs> none of the shit in the middle, like, goes together at all. Right.
0: But, <laughs> that's um, a life
2: once lost when I was in the band, honestly.
0: <laughs> and I remember... I remember having this discussion with you because you guys were way, were way more metal. And I remember being like, you guys are metal. And you'd be like, no, man, we're not. We're hardcore. <laughs> yeah. I think there I was, was like I a was struggle. I was definitely in
2: hardcore land. Yeah. I, I was like in, in fucking hardcore la la land. Because I was like, <laughs> you refuse to accept that, like, okay, you have blast beats and you have finger tapping. That's not metal. <laughs> we're, we're, we're hardcore.
0: <laughs> exactly. So tell us about how I don't, I don't actually know this. I remember it happening though. How did you end up in this day forward? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? How did how did that conversation start? All
2: right, so um, so I was already friends with with all the guys in this day forward. We actually were much closer than um the guys in in a life on Sloss, Like uh, over over a period of time, I became much closer. Like hanging out at the Shaw House, as you guys know. Yeah. Like, yes, that is a big big spot and everything. What had happened was it was the summer of 2000 it was like June. So Transient had just been recorded. I think Transient was recorded in May and and I didn't record guitar on that record. I was there for a bunch of it. Like I was there for the recording sessions. I think I did backups on a few of the songs with everybody gang vocals and whatnot, but I wasn't in the band. Um but I was working at Taco Bell and and I I was working the drive-through. I remember and I and I get like a I think it was either a phone call like to Taco Bell or someone showed up because this is before, you know, cell phones. obviously. Yeah, so, so, like, like- so either someone showed up, maybe Gary and talked to me or I got a phone call like straight to the store, which used to happen all the time. I would just get phone calls to Taco Bell. Can I talk to Vadim? Sure. <laughs> you know, and they said, hey, we have a show later tonight in Long Island um, and Randy can't make it. And it was like a big show. It was with like um, Sky Came Falling, who was like really big in Long Island at the time, and like 12 Tribes, and I think may- maybe even Poison the Well, actually. And they're like, hey, could you fill in for Randy? I was like, well, I've never played any of your songs before, but I I, I could give it a shot. And so literally, um, I learned four or five songs, I think, on the drive up to the show. We j- We took like a little like a little carpool or whatever so i i played the first show with this day forward in june of 2000 um never having played with the band the first the first time i ever played with the band was the show
0: yeah um no practice or anything how did you learn it like how did you learn did you just play it on the stereo and like figure it out as you're going up
2: yeah, and I actually did that another time with the band Taken um, in 2002 because their guitar player got stuck and couldn't make it into Canada. So I ended up learning like f- five or six of their songs, also like in the back of the van. Wow! And 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 played two sets, played This Day Forward and a Taken set um, in Canada. But yeah, like the This Day Forward thing was just kind of you know. So at that point, like I don't think that they were planning on replacing Randy. Um, but I think there was always a little bit of a question of him just not really like fitting in so much with, with them as people, you know, cause Golan kind of, Golan was the one that brought Randy on. He was good friends with him in school, but Randy was, was more like a, like a fat records epitaph records, like punk kid, yes. sort of, yes, like, not really so much like a hardcore kid. So anyway, a life on Sloss did, um, a full not full U.S. We did We did a U.S. tour with some Canada with a band called The End from Toronto in July. So this was like right after um, that first show I played with This Day Forward. Right. And at the end of that tour, as Tommy like briefly mentioned, what happened was our van, um, we were driving on the I-90 by, by uh, Rochester, New York, and our front wheel falls off like just just comes off on the highway. Uh, and I, and I was in the passenger seat when this happened. I remember like looking out the window and seeing the wheel rolling parallel to the van and thinking like, "Oh shit." Cuz you just hear like we heard something happen and then you you see the the axle is just scraping, right? On on the ground. Actually, wait a minute. I'm sorry. It was the passenger back uh rear rear wheel, not the not the front wheel. But I saw it rolling alongside on the highway. Oh my and God. and so And so we got towed um, and TJ and I flew home and then the other guys happened to get picked up by SCARM and, and driven home. But we left this van in Rochester, New York with all of our gear. Cause we, like we had nothing better to do, you know? Like we were like, we were like broke. And then this day forward had a show in Syracuse in July, like literally like three weeks later or whatever. And so- What ended up happening was I got driven to, or maybe I drove my car to Rochester. I picked up as much of my gear as I possibly could and we left that van at the Firestone just like abandoned it because we didn't have any money to get it fixed or whatever but I was able to get all that gear I played on that gear with this day forward um that was the second show I played with this day forward with the recovered a life on lost gear wow in, in Syracuse w- w- which was supposed to be with Glassjaw and Every Time I Die who both canceled huh. like like here's this huge show with yeah but then you know we still ended up playing with like some locals that were cool like Sparklights to Friction so funny
1: funny sure. story yeah. Just about the, when I got that, when I found out the car was broke, like the van had broken down, I came home from work. And at the time I was washing dishes at that old folks home, uh, over in Holland. And I remember I came home and my mom literally had written down on a piece of paper. She was like, yeah, Doug called wheel fell off the van. He needs you to come and pick him up And I was like where And she's like he said he's in Rochester And I literally started laughing And she was like well are you going I was like are you out of your fucking mind I was like I'm not like leaving right now And the worst part was is in my head All I thought of was the week before you guys had left meadows came over to my house and was like hey there's that auto body place near your house um we need to go and grab some tires from there and i was like okay and we go there and remember bob used to have that old maroon like nissan centra it was like all dented yes. up and br- like oh, yes. so uh he goes over He's there with ultimer. me and we're driving through and i'm like all right cool and he literally just hops out of the car with like uh, the tire iron and just starts taking a tire off the back of this other van and i'm like oh cool i'm like all right so like the guys like the, the the place is clearly open like i'm like all right bob has something set up with it he grabs a tire and picks it up and i remember he starts rolling it towards me and he's like get in the car get in the car and i'm like oh my god are you <laughs> out of your mind are we stealing this right now and then in my head as soon as i read that message when my mom was like yeah the tire fell off the van i was like i bet we stole the wrong size tire and it ended up ruining the back axle on the van <laughs> like, oh yeah. Yeah. wow i
2: don't know what it was but it- Either way, like, we got lucky, I guess, because the last show of that tour was in Albany, New York, and it was, like, a um, with Drop Dead and somebody else. It was, like, this, like, I think it was, like, this, like, crusty show, grindcore show that somehow, like, yeah. lost, got onto. Um, so some of our friends were already coming to that show in upstate New York, and even though Albany and Rochester aren't, like, super close together, they were. we already had friends that were coming up, and that's why they were able to give um, the other three guys a ride home. But TJ and I flew to that tiny airport in Trenton, like somehow we were able to get airfare and fly home. You know? wow. But The gear was picked up later. The gear was picked up for, for that This Day Forward show. So I think after that show is when the guys talked about it and maybe they approached me. I don't even remember exactly how it happened, but it was most likely Golan that said like, hey, we want you to to play with us. Like, we, you know, Randy's kind of going to be out of the picture eventually. And I knew Randy from school and stuff. I did feel a little bit Um, bad about that. But at the same time, I kind of knew that he wasn't really fitting the band. And also, like, there was the excitement of playing with my friends, you know, like, I I always really liked This Day Forward. I was at that first show at Shaw House, too. And they were like a really great band. So I was going to attempt to do both bands at the same time. Um, And so that was the case for like 3 months. It was it was like I was playing in both bands. We were still doing like local shows. Uh-huh. And then in October of 2000, we were practicing at Doug's house writing some new material and he you know, if we're going to be real, he he hit me with an ultimatum pretty much. He was just like this isn't going to work out with you being in both bands. Um and that's when I was pretty much like, "Okay, well, fuck you. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Um, and I got my gear and I left and I made the decision to just be in this day forward. Cause no one's going to tell me who I can and can't play music with. And also like the environment of a life once lost at the time was not a healthy environment. It was very negative. There was, there was a lot of, um, violence at the shows, not just from like the attendees, but also from the people within the band. And I wasn't getting along with some of the guys. And so, like, given the choice, if you're going to put me in that choice, am I going to be in a band with dudes who I consider my best friends? Or am I going to stay in this band that is like a, a, a negative, violent, unhappy environment? Even though I, I started that band, it was like a no-brainer. I
0: was just like, peace. Understood. I, I remember a lot of those early shows. And let, let's just say there were certain members of the band I would not stand anywhere near while they played. Because I, I didn't want to lose an arm or a head. Um, so it, yeah. It, it and could... to be
2: honest with you, I always hated that shit. Like I'm all I'm all about stage presence. Like I, I I do get that it's fun to watch bands. Like you you love All Else Failed. Like they they do have violent shows sometimes like that too. But like I also don't want people that come to see our music to be scared that they're gonna get hit just for standing there and trying to watch. Um, you know. And, and like on purpose you know right. that's like one thing oh, right. oh I'm going I'm going off I'm, I'm you know losing my mind because the music is so emotional and so heavy that's one thing but then like to purposely go and like swing your instruments or just like try to punch people like that are just trying to watch you play music like that, uh, that's just some kind of immature shit that I just didn't really want to be a part of
0: there's a certain way to do it where you can be really into it and really interacting with the crowd but also being safe and I think all Us Failed are a good example of, of how they do that. But back to A Life Once Lost, I, re- I remember you joining This Day Forward, and it just seemed like a natural fit. Like you were mentioning, Randy was kind of an outlier, and he was good. He was a, he was a nice person. I didn't know him that well, but I, you know he was a nice person. But when you fit, it just seemed like, oh yeah, this is, this is the logical choice. And I remember the... I think the first time I saw you play with the band, Vadim, was the record release... So yeah, that
2: was the third show. So we t- I told you about the first show was in Long Island, second show was in Syracuse, and then my third show was the Transient record release show at the Kill Time, which was November of 2000.
0: And that was a legendary show. I still remember it. Uh, tons of people, just all around good time. And I remember even Randy was in the crowd singing along and it was just like a really surreal moment. Yeah, that was an awesome show.
1: Vadim, your memory is impeccable. I, every time you mention something, you're like, oh, yeah, that was late November of... And I'm like, holy shit, I don't remember any of this stuff. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys were able to do that. Like, that's an <laughs> unbelievable skill.
2: It's not It's not as strong anymore, I
0: promise you that. <laughs> so, let, your first experience... Now, I've been in this situation where I joined a band that exists, and uh, for for me, I was just always uh, in a rush to, to write new material. Cause I'm, I'm like, I want to be a part of this. I want to write stuff and to be a part of it and have people hear it. So was your first experience writing with this day forward Kairos? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, um, Kairos was interesting. Cause that was the first time when I felt like I was really writing songs with a hardcore band. Like there was a little bit more focus on transitions which you know was very smart to do cuz i think it made the songs like much more cohesive and then um also trying to stray away from just playing like your chugga breakdowns which it still had some of that but um i feel like they were um they were put into the songs a little bit uh, what's the right word i'm looking for intentional like, they were like- more tasteful yeah, like, like sparingly and also so that that they fit a little bit better with like the part they were coming from or like there's there's needs to be a reason why it's there right it's not just like hey let's just throw in this breakdown which is kind of like how a lot of bands would write at the time and and i i think that was a little bit of a conscious effort on the band to try to to try to make them a little bit like more cohesive songs cuz this day forward had way more cohesiveness than early life once lost but even they too were sort of like some weird parts that don't really fit together, like weird part after part, you know yes, um but but yeah, like for the kairos experience i I definitely brought in a bunch of um the riffs and then um helped a lot with transitions and then like adding leads and things like that, like I was pretty involved right away with the writing process
0: and that came across. I had this conversation with Mike Shaw when he was on i I remember. Seeing the first This Day 4 show where you played Cairo's material live, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like they're they they are taking it to the next level. This is this is something I have not seen before. So when in that in that experience coming into the band and writing, was there any tension or like, no, this isn't the way we do things, or anything difficult to navigate?
2: Um, not really. Um, I do remember that I, I think I was probably the one that wanted more breakdowns at the time. Cause again, I told you, like, I was kind of like in, I was in like hardcore la la land for a long time. And, um, I think, I think it was really Colin. Colin's always kind of like ahead of everybody. Um, but he, he was the one that's like, I think we should tone it down with the, with the, you know, open E chugs or whatever. (laughs) It's like, and of course he was right. Um, so yeah, like I mean that that was the only thing. I think there's certain p- points where I remember being like actually, you know what? We were going to um it, we, we, it was it was always going to be a five song EP. We knew we were going to do an EP, but we were going to re-record one of the songs from Fragments originally. That was the that was the case. And I think we tried, I think it was maybe Dead Acres, but one of one of those early Songs we were gonna like sort of like update and redo, but then like Allegory of the Cave, the, which was the fourth track on Kairos sort of just like it just came together like really quick, and that's the song that has like a chug breakdown at the end. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, yes, we got a chug part, you know, like that was, <laughs> that was like the one on the on the record that made it that had the chug part. <laughs>
0: yeah. So what? What? Tell me about some of your experiences in the band. Now you 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 always seem like uh, a big. You always seemed like one of the more business oriented people in the band like you took it seriously I remember this day Ford would have to cancel gigs sometimes and you just would not be happy about it cuz it would happen maybe too often and you you seemed to have a lot of network like networking skills you knew tons of people that that kind of seemed to be your role in the band am I am I on point there
2: um, Colin was definitely more the business guy, especially later on when we were on labels and, and had management and that kind of thing and booking agencies. He was way more business-oriented than I was. I think maybe what you're thinking of I, you're – you're definitely right. I didn't like canceling shows. I really hated that. But I think more so than anything, that was probably because I just – was very social and I just, I just wanted to like see people from out of town. And then another part of it was probably because I was doing a bunch of our booking. Like I took on, um, it's weird. Like I, I kind of like jumped into this day forward and started taking like a pretty active role fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up like I was do you know, I was sending, I was doing all the merch, the mail order. I was answering like a bunch of the emails and then I I started taking over booking. So until, until this day forward got picked up by flower booking, which was like when we were already on equal vision, um, I pretty much booked almost all of our shows, uh, locally and then some tours. I, I, I was booking our tours as well. So maybe the cancellation thing also was just more of a frustration on my end. Like I took, t- cause this isn't like a simple, like, Hey, let's make a call on my cell phone or send a text or whatever. Like this was a lot of going back and forth by email and sometimes instant messenger and then like nailing down specifics and like, you know there was more work that that went into it
0: for right.
2: booking um than can be accomplished nowadays.
0: You don't want to be a band that gets a reputation as canceling because then it's harder to get booked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And
2: um yeah, so that was what probably what you're thinking. But as far as business goes, I mean we were I we were just kind of like silly a lot and we do dumb shit like i think i think you talked with mike about i guess it didn't really matter as much then but for cmj like how we all dressed up in these ridiculous costumes and then we performed like in front of all these um music execs and stuff like mike with his marching band outfit with a gorilla mask on yeah and and then you know like and then that there's a photo of that that ended up in revolver magazine so like all right so here's this day forward with their singer in a fucking like gorilla mask you know like (laughs) that's the level of of seriousness that you had in the band and and like you know colin was definitely the one that was trying to get us to be a little bit more professional and just not like (laughs) do shit like that you know it wasn't me as much as him
0: yeah yeah so tell us about your your mindset going into the last record in response. Did did you think okay, we're on equal vision, like this is it or tell us about some of some of your experiences there?
2: Um okay, well th- that's like a big jump from from uh, Kairos. Um but in that time, you know, we had brought Brendan on board um completely amicably. Like w- obviously like my goal in is um like one of the originators of the band. He was like the heart of the band. Really, I think I'm in the band mainly because of Mike, like him and I were like inseparable at the time, but he had school going on and he, you know, Mike was very, uh, future driven for his career. So we kind of had to make that change just for the band to move forward. And that was definitely like something that Golan, uh, was very supportive of. So we got Brendan and for in response, um, that's already when we were like touring all the time and pretty much the band has taken over the majority of our lives. We didn't really have, um, outside jobs that even though we weren't really making much money off of this day forward, but still you would come home from tour and we were fortunate that we were able to stay with our families. We, we didn't have rent. If we, if we had to pay rent, it wouldn't have worked out. But the fact that we were all living at home, I think it made it, it made it feasible. So for in response, particularly, um, it was so different than the way we did anything before because we wrote that album over the course of like three months practicing like four to five times a week I mean it it was it was a job like that's that's really what it was um, we would we would come in about noon to Colin's parents basement you know we would meet at his house and this is like a Monday through Friday thing um, and then we would play until Probably about four or five PM every day. You know, we take a break sometimes and go to Brothers Pizza or, or like hang out upstairs. But that was the writing the writing process for in response. It was it was like it's funny because that album I feel like separated a lot of our fans. And if you heard anybody in this day forward talk about the career, like that's the album that we all talk about that we're most proud of, because clearly to us that is the best record like in, in terms of songwriting in terms of like how much time we put into it how much thought was put into it it's it's like night and day if you put those two records in response and transient you know to each other but they're just different they're different kinds of records transient is definitely much more of like a like a chaotic like metalcore album you know lots of screaming lots of like um anger and aggression and in response is it's like a it's like a more crafted version of that. It still has the anger um, and but it has a, a lot of beauty with it and it it's unique. Like I still put on that record and I'd say like, okay, well, you know, the, there's not a lot of bands that really sounded like what we were doing at the time, but we were just, you know, some of our influences as well. I mean, we like Mike mentioned, like, you know, he got really into, um, at the drive-in and their, uh, vocal delivery. And, you know, we were listening to refused and sunny day real estate and that kind of stuff. So we, we try to bring all of that to the table, but that writing process, that was brutal. I mean, we, you know, we would spend so much time, putting those songs together, making sure everything flowed into each other. You know, everybody brought parts. There was a lot of stuff that was cut. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was, it was, but that, but I've still, to this day, have never written a record with that much. I mean, maybe the Marigold record over time it took a long time as well, but th- this was like all of us getting together daily hours at a time, crafting these songs
0: right and I separated I separated the this day for discography like if I'm if I'm in the mood for like hardcore and I want to like punch myself in the face it's transient Kairos is the bridge and then in response is like is like you mentioned it's the cohesive album it's it's it stands on its own and that's kind of how I separate the discography
1: I feel like it's the album that I also consistently go back to more like it's not the like, you know. I'll go back and listen to things off a of transient where I'll go like, oh great, like kissing perfection's cheek or something like that. But like, in response is the album that I consistently go. I can put this on and listen to it all the way through.
0: Right now, quite a good question. Tommy brought up earlier when we were when we were prepping. You got involved more vocally. Uh, with Kairos and within response, tell us how that came about. Did you say like, "Hey, I have these parts and I want to do backups," or was it a natural thing? Tell us about that.
2: I think it's um, it's not me. I think it was the band asked me to because they knew that I had sing. I don't remember who, but I think yeah, that that was a conscious decision that I remember that was discussed um, that they wanted to have some some clean singing. And so in Kairos, it's not that present. It's only in Sun Falls and Watershine. Um, where I went and picked up Jeff from Upstate New Jersey, and then brought him back to the studio, and then like that was like literally like an all day driving back and forth. But we knew we wanted to have him on the record, and he he really wanted to be a part of it. But that's the only song I sang in Kairos. In um, in response, yeah, there was definitely a lot more backups, and a lot of those backups were written in the studio because um, I didn't because Mike didn't even have a lot of the lyrics completed um.
0: yeah and i listened to kairos again recently and it just you know i appreciate it even more now just the 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 addition of your vocals was brought a whole new awesome element to it and just the songwriting was such a a major leap forward and i was just like holy shit this was good i almost cried i listened to sun falls and Watershine, and i almost cried i was like fuck these guys have to play a show again but uh we'll we'll badger you about that later (laughs) <laughs> okay. So tell us I knew you would <laughs> Tell us about I want to hear your experience about the end of the band Now this is going to be a two part question One, Mike Shaw mentioned A mysterious thing that happened In Iowa and he wouldn't tell us what it was He said that's when he decided The band was going to end So he wouldn't tell us what it was So we're going to ask you If you don't want to tell us that's okay And two, just tell us about like how the conversation started that it was going to end and and just how how you process that because that's i mean this band was your guys lives like this was this was everything so it's a major change to go from that to the next thing which we don't know what it is yet
2: yeah that that was um a shock coming to me to be honest with you so i don't know specifically what
1: you're talking about is it iowa or idaho i don't i'm not really sure so we asked him like what what brought about the end of this day forward and he paused for a solid like four or five seconds. And then all he said was one word was Iowa. And then he paused again and we were like, do you want to talk about that more? And he looked up and again, huge pause and went, no, <laughs> just single word answer. Like, no, I, I'm not talking about that. I don't
2: remember. Honestly, I don't, I don't know when it started, but it definitely started with Mike and Colin before everybody else. I'm pretty sure that they, you know, they had some conversations about it between them before, Everybody sat down with it because the first time that I got, um, the message was that conversation with everybody, which was, it was on the Shadows Fall tour, which that tour wasn't going that great for us. I mean, it was okay, but, um, maybe not as, as good as we would have liked it to be. And th- that was like a few tours, you know, like there was a few tours where, um, we were playing across the country and it's like the third time we're back at the city or whatever. And we're still not really drawing um, a lot of people, you know, there was always like some people, but it wasn't like we weren't pulling like, you know, a hundred people every night in, especially in like the Midwest and things like that. So um, on that, on that tour with Shadow's Fall, like we had a meeting uh, in the van. uh, I think it was after the show. And yeah, I think, Colin or Mike or both of them together kind of like said that, yeah, we think that this is, uh, this is going to be a good time for the band to sort of come to an end. Um, we're, we're not really getting where, where we want to be. Like we're putting everything into it and it's just for whatever reason is not really like catching on. Um, you know, there, I'm sure there was other factors for everybody involved that can't speak, on their behalves. But for me, I mean, I would have kept the band going indefinitely. Like I hadn't, you know, no plan to, uh, finish and to, to do something else at that point. So for me, it was definitely a shock. I was like, Holy shit. Like this whole thing that I've just invested like four years of my life into is going to come to an end, especially when like everything in your life is invested into it. You know what I mean? Like, like the van the music year um the uh absence the absence of um relationships back home you know just being away all the time cuz that last year in 2003 we were on tour 9 months out of that year like literally 9 months on the road well wow. um can sort of wear on you um and that's because we were just trying to get exposure like we just put out this album that we're very proud of um on on a label that we're very proud of we're getting tours, you know, they're putting us on these packages with other bands that should in theory be good but doesn't really seem to be um gaining steam for for whatever reason and so that's kind of how it came up and and uh we did have other tours that were already booked um and so we had to decide, are we going to still play the remainder of our shows, the remainder of our commitments, or are we just going to call it now? And, and we finished up all the tours. There was only one tour offer that we had that we, um, we said no, because we didn't fully confirm to it yet. And that was with Stretch Armstrong and the Bled. And we decided, you know, like that we weren't going to do that tour, but we finished, um, we finished like maybe two more tours. We did one with Zayo and beloved. And then I, I booked all of our, last shows which we did we did like six last shows all together they're on a poster by the way if anybody wants i still have like a box of those posters so if anybody wants a, this last this day forward show poster i will mail you one if you just pay me for shipping oh dude maybe one post absolutely post office officer a little bit yeah, more safe to go to as well but um yeah i have so many of those that i can send uh out to anybody that's interested
0: we want to get out to you to catalog your many flyers and all that stuff too for, for the site so we'll we'll that's, talk we'll talk about that
2: yeah yeah we'll do that
0: but let's talk, talk about the the final shows i mean how how where was your head at do you remember them would you do later that night are you like holy shit like this is it
2: yeah well, I remember them probably better than the other guys because I booked them. So I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time um, with the promoters that were going to do them because we decided, and this is when Suzanne from Flower was booking us and she was a little bit upset that we decided we were going to just book our own shows without her. We were just going to do it ourselves because again, like I used to do this before her. Um, but yeah, I think it was something she was kind of unhappy with, but you have to understand like we just wanted. to everything done our way you know like it we we, we've always been sort of like in a situation where we didn't have a lot of say in in what happens or where where things go but in for this particular thing it was like the band's coming to an end it's going to be on our terms and so and so we booked the shows with only the promoters that we felt comfortable with with only the bands playing that we handpicked um So in that sense, it was like the best way to go out. Yeah. Like we did a Lancaster show at the Chameleon Club with Murder by Death um, that Jeremy from CI did. Then we did uh, New York City and that was with like um, On the Might of Princess and uh, I can't remember. I think A Life on Sloth played that one with us too. We did a Jersey show with um, Unsound who are We're All Broken, who Joe recorded um, in response, their, their drummer. <clears throat> and then um, with 12 tribes who were going under Prodigal Zoo, I think at the time. Right. And then, and Alexis on Fire did like the last few shows with us. So, and then, so yeah, then there was a, a Ben Salem show that Steve from sometime in April did for us. And that was with all our friends. That was like Zoloff played that show. Um, a Life on Lost played that show. And then the last show in at the first Unitarian in philly that had like a trunk full of dead bodies tommy's band and then albert react which was a band we were we were good friends with and then alexis on fire and us so yeah we 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 chose all the bands um all the venues with the promoters on our on our terms and that's how the last shows were I wish they didn't get shut down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cuz yeah, for those that don't know, the Palenque show ended early, which was the second time our show got shut down at Palenque Park. Like what are the odds of that happening? But it was just because it was too crazy. There was too many people right. in that place. And then um and then the Philly show, we had to cut our set short because the church double booked and they had like some like actual church services that evening. So our show was sort of a matinee and we had to wrap it up by a certain time to let, like, the church people in. We're like, oh, my God. So, yeah, we didn't get to
0: play a full last set. That's <laughs> terrible. That's terrible. That's okay, though. So, yeah, so I, I didn't know a life... I forgot a life once lost played with you guys again because I remember there was a, a kind of a division formed once you joined This Day Forward. Now, I, the, people were still friends and whatever, but there was kind of, like, an unspoken, like, division. Like, a, a life once lost never played with this day forward again, I guess until the end, right?
2: No, we actually played a bunch together. We played on tour um, a few times together. We played a bunch of festivals together um, and we, we did, did even do some local shows together. So we did still end up playing together quite a bit. And that's how, I mean, if we didn't play together, I wouldn't know. Cause I wouldn't go see them play live, but they did become a much better band after I left. That's what I was saying. Like in all honesty, um, you know, Nick, Nick, um, Frasca in in the band and Bob Carpenter like those guys are really good musicians and they sounded like super awesome you know even even Justin um, playing drums for them after after TJ um, had left like they did change a lot but they were such a much tighter band and we play with them all the time I don't think that there was as much weirdness as you may think probably mostly with me and Doug okay. Um, but, but with the other guys, um, I think it was mostly okay. Um, from my perspective, I was like, whatever. You know, I, I've moved, I moved on um, pretty quickly from
0: that. I got you. So now this day forward is over. And now I'm, I want to say something here. And we, we've talked about this a little bit before, but a long time ago when we were young... I don't know, 20, 21 years old, like during the last This Day 4 tour and even before that, I just used to be like a really angry, kind of bitter dude. And I I hated anything that was like a trend. I don't know, like, like you used to have really outspoken beliefs as, uh, that many hardcore kids had, like, you know, straight edge veganism, uh, this and that, and... I would see that and be like, I hate that. That's stupid. Just because a lot of people were doing it. I don't know why. I don't know why. That was just my mindset at the time. It didn't make sense. And I don't even know if you picked up on it or not, but I, I was kind of hard on you. It was like a brotherly, like, rivalry thing. And I, yeah. I, I wasn't I wasn't the nicest person to you. And after this day, Ford broke up. I lost touch with you. And I, I didn't make any attempt to reach out. I didn't check out any of your new bands it was just like we just didn't talk for a long time and i don't know how we reconnected but i'm really glad we did because i consider you one of my best friends and i'm i'm really happy that we're in each other's lives still so i just want to say that you know for my part for all that stuff uh, i don't i don't know what it was exactly but but i'm sorry and i'm i'm glad it's it's in the past
1: <laughs> i can't
2: believe oh thanks man i, I honestly I, I i never like look back and and think like oh keith was a dick to me so you didn't even have to say all that but thanks anyway and, right. and, and to be and- fair to be fair i was definitely probably harder to get along with when i was super um you know like gung-ho vegan and gung-ho straight edge and all this stuff i was probably way over the top with all of that shit so you probably had a reason to give me give me crap um i don't take it personally
0: so that that now i want to get into some of the stuff you did right after this day forward because i don't even know like tell me about marigold how how did that come together and how quickly did it come together after this day forward?
2: fairly quickly um so this day forward ended in december 2003 and then marigold was basically going in february 2004 so like two month period basically it got going and um the way that it started was a a group of these guys who were this day forward fans um went to see us towards the end of our run in jersey somewhere i think it was like birch hill nightclub or something like that and they came up and talked to us afterwards and i got to know them and it was it was Jason uh and Nick, who you know that those guys would be like the core of Marigold, along with this other guy Scotty. Actually, I don't know. I don't remember if Scotty was there too. But somehow, once this day forward broken up, like either Jason reached out to me or maybe I, I honestly don't remember. But it, somehow we started sending each other some ideas, and he had some pretty good ideas. He had a four track recorder. And um, he came over and I put down some of my ideas on his four track recorder. And basically we just started playing. And we had a, um, there was a club in Trenton called the conduit. I don't know if it's still there. It was kind of like a dance club upstairs, but downstairs they had two lockouts and we had this one lockout there and it was so convenient because we could literally go there whenever we wanted, like even at nighttime because there was club music playing upstairs. So when we play... We could just practice and the, the volume doesn't really matter. So we had written a lot. We we started practicing like two, three nights a week, every week, you know, writing Marigold material. Um, that's how that band started. And the only thing that I did before Marigold was I did a tour with Superstitions of the Sky that I had booked with a band called Dearly Departed. And then I went on tour with Hawcross, like selling merch with Hot Cross and like Golden Sky. And then um, once I already had Marigold going... I was I was dating somebody in Long Island and I ran into Fran from From Autumn to Ashes at this at wherever I forget some show mm-hmm. and he's like hey so I think it's not going to work out with our guitar player like do you have any interest in playing and you know From Autumn to Ashes honestly like musically isn't really my thing Mm -hmm. so I was like yeah I don't I don't know if I really want to do that um he's like well we have a tour of Japan booked coming up and I was like all right I'm in (laughs) like like, um so honestly that's kind of like what sold me immediately because at that point I'd never been to Japan like let alone with the band so I did I did a tour like a U.S. Canada tour with them and then I did a Japan tour with From Autumn to Ashes in 2004 in the beginning of the year and that that was actually like a really cool experience because a the U S Canada tour was on a bus and that was the only tour to this day I've ever been on a bus. Wow. And it was just like interesting, you know, to have that, Uh, that difference as opposed to like being in a 15 passenger van my entire life. Like every tour I've ever done has been in a 15 passenger van. So it was kind of like, it was crazy like to have like your own bunk and experience all that stuff. Like the driver made a soup every day. Wow. This kind of thing, you know, having people on the bus like afterwards and just having like after parties or whatever. And then, and then the Japan tour, that was my first time in Japan, like in general, let alone playing music, but also like, They had a huge infrastructure already with their label there. I mean, it was insane. It was like, I've never experienced anything like that in the United States ever where like you get off the, you get off the plane and there's already people waiting for you at the airport, like to take like photos or like have you sign shit or, or they're waiting for you at the train stations. Like, cause they know which train you're going to take from one city to the other. I mean, it was, it was crazy and all the shows were just completely packed. Um, in fact, that was like that for every time I played music in Japan. I've been to Japan three times now with three different bands and it's always been like that. I played there um, with Makoto, in two thousand nine, and then I played there with Taken in two thousand ten, and all of the shows are just like people go off, and they treat American musicians like royalty, and yeah, it's it's crazy. But also that from one Nash's tour in Japan was with Anthrax too, so I could say I toured with Anthrax. Wow, and, and, wow, and, and and the other thing that was like you know like looking back at it now, it kind of ties back into what you just mentioned before this was. I was still super gung ho straight edge, right? And and everyone in Fremont and Nash's, um was not straight edge, I believe, except for their bass player, who sold out on the flight to Japan. That's he, awesome. He had he had like a glass of wine or something on the flight. I don't remember what it was. So then, literally, I was the only straight edge person in the whole crew, like on this tour, right? And after and the first night, Scott Ian walks into our dressing room with a tray of shots. He's like. <laughs> He's like, all right, guys, welcome to the tour. And then, of course, me being, like, stinker straight guy, like, I'm good. Like, yeah, you know, like,
0: sorry, I couldn't take a shot with Scotty in, you know? <laughs> so, here's something. I, when did you decide to try drinking? I don't even know that.
2: Um, I think it was, like, 2007. What? Really? But I, but I... I, but I didn't really like it. Yeah, it was after I moved to California. Um... I threw up really bad, really, really bad the first time. Yeah. It was like a pretty, pretty... I think we had the great idea of trying to mix vodka with um, Jamba Juice. So, oh. I think I had like two two Jamba Juice flavored vodka drinks yeah. that ended up in my bathroom sink um, and and that was like the same day that George Carlin died. So, if you, if you look up the day that George Carlin died, because I remember like having the spins and then like having a bad experience and then like hearing oh by the way george carlin died I was like motherfucker that's <laughs> a bad day yeah. that's a fucking bad day that, i love george carlin so much if you so listen much, to him yeah.
0: now it, it's insane how on point he was like 20 years ago about, about like everything going on today he's he's a, he's basically our philosopher now
2: he, yeah he's, he's not a even a comedian I, I still listen. I mean, I listen to George Carlin. I have a lot of George Carlin stuff on my iTunes, so I'll I'll, I'll throw that on pretty frequently.
1: Yeah. Vadim, June twenty second of two thousand eight. That's when he passed.
2: Oh, there you go. So two thousand eight was when I first uh, had some some alcohol. So we
0: have the day, the the date of Vadim's edge break. <laughs> Mark this yeah. in your calendars, oh, folks. Oh no, wait, no,
2: no, no. That's not edge break. Sorry, that's the first time I had alcohol. Oh.
0: oh.
2: Yeah um let's not get into uh <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we'll edit that out
0: D- did from autumn the ashes ever uh ask you to join
2: i don't think so i think they were pretty pretty respectful oh 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 i'm sorry i thought you meant in partying <laughs> no, I, I thought you meant partying with them um not not the band um yeah, I think I think it did get brought up. That, um not not like hey do you want to join like hey, you know, do you want to do additional tours and kind of like see where it goes. Um I, it was talked about, but I had already had Marigold kind of going even though it was just the first couple months and we hadn't done anything. I was pretty set on wanting to do my own project because I did get like when when the word got out that this day forward was breaking up, I got asked to join um, a whole bunch of other bands
1: name name um, some which was, i'm curious um
2: w- well like okay ray talked to me about doing something with taken um i think um Lude had asked me to do stuff with them um evergreen terrace i think asked me to do stuff with them there was a whole bunch i don't i don't remember all of them honestly but there it was like a it was like probably 10 bands or so and some of them you know like not like big bands or anything but It felt nice to know that, oh, I guess I'm respected enough as a musician, like, that people would want to play music with me. Absolutely. Um, But I had, I think I just had so many ideas um, that I wanted to pursue after This Day Forward broken up that I wanted to do my own thing. I didn't want to, like, join another band, because I basically did that with This Day Forward. I joined a band that wasn't mine from the beginning. Right. and And I wanted to... that again i wanted to build something from the bottom up
0: right and that's that's that was my mindset as well when i did my record a couple years ago i had joined plenty of bands i had been a player in many bands i was like i want to i want to this to be mine like i have to have my voice heard and if i can't i don't want to do it at all so i i understand so marigold did, did you guys ever tour did you ever do like a u.s tour or
2: we did yeah we we did um a few um, and I booked them also. So I went back to booking. So we did a full U S tour within pieces and we actually shared a drummer with them. So that, uh, his name's TJ, mad props to TJ cause he did two sets every night back to back. And that's pretty, pretty impressive for drumming. Like, you know, a lot of stamina goes into that. I really appreciate that. Um, and then we did a tour with a band called sleeper set sale in Canada which was really nice. We we went out to Eastern Canada, which I've only done twice in my life. We went out to New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, and that w- that was super super cool. Um, but other than that, we Marigold mostly did a lot of regional shows. Like when I say regional, you guys know, like Philadelphia is so central, um, so we were able to do you know like Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Baltimore, and New York, and New Jersey, and like all the all the states that are within let's say five hour. Driving distance, which is quite a bit, so we played a lot mostly in the northeast area um
0: how did you dis- why did you leave the band i They went on without you right for a little while
2: yeah, um, so I just needed a change in my life you know i I've been asked often throughout the years why I moved to California, and I don't have like a concrete answer. it wasn't just like a one thing. Um, but you know how sometimes people re- people can relate to this sometimes you just do something because it feels right you just have to follow like w- what your intuition is telling you that you need to do what feels right in your life and that w- felt right in my life like I just wasn't entirely fulfilled in Pennsylvania and I wanted some change in my life I wanted to experience something new and I've always loved. Southern California being out here on tour. I was out here a lot. Um, I had already had a a bunch of people that I knew out here, some friends. So it just kind of something that made sense to do and so my ex-girlfriend and I, we had talked about it. I mean, we had it wasn't like a um, on a whim type thing. Like we sat down, we had a conversation about it and then we gave ourselves seven months planning time to do it, to save up, to make sure we had a place to move into. So I gave Marigold the heads up fairly early on. Like, they, those guys knew that I decided this and they were not happy about it. I got this email that I've only read once. I've still never gone back and read it because because it was
0: so. Um, Why was don't like we go look emotional... it up and we can read it on the show right now? <laughs> yeah,
1: <so. laughs> oh, wait. Just take a screenshot of it. We'll post it later. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um,
2: so they, yeah, they were definitely not happy about me leaving the band, but maybe they can understand a little bit better now in hindsight it wasn't it wasn't anything to do with them it just was something i needed to do for myself at the time in my life and i'm really glad that i did because i i love my life in california um i love everything here um and it's like you know it's been my home for almost 14 years now
0: yeah any chance of us ever getting you back to the east coast like to live I don't know. I mean, my mom always asked that.
2: Probably not, to be honest with you, but I mean, you, you never know, you know. I mean, like if there's a family emergency or something, I can see myself coming back, but I'm pretty happy
0: with my life here in California. I hear you. So on to more musical endeavors. We Oh, Superstitions in the Sky. So that was before Marigold.
2: Yeah. So Superstitions of the Sky was another project that I kind of joined because they they had put out an EP. It was just Josh and this dude Kevin who played drums in Joshua Fit for Battle. Both of those guys were in Joshua Fit for Battle. Josh and I were becoming really close for a long time. I used to go hang out with them for all the Neil Perry shows, all the Now shows. Like He was in like 17 bands. You guys probably remember. He was in like... You're talking about dudes that were in a lot of bands. He was doing literally... And he five. had that studio, remember, Cannon, Cannon Road, I think? Yeah, yeah. So, dude, I remember, just quick aside, MacRock 2002, the Superstitions of the Sky played that. And for those of you that don't know, MacRock was like this big festival in, in I think it was Virginia. Yes. And that was, the year Fugazi, that was the year Fugazi headline. And actually, that's the only time I've ever seen Fugazi. But Josh literally had five sets on that weekend, which was <laughs> insane. He played... He played with The Now, he played with Joshua Fit for Battle, he played with Neil Perry, he played with Hawcross, and he played with Superstitions of the Sky. I mean, uh, that's just insanity. Wow. He's he's a madman. But anyway, I took over for Kevin, um, and I just started going over to Josh's house, and we would, we would practice. I think maybe with that project, he was pretty excited that I came from a choral background, because I, I was... Um, you know, I had so much experience with harmonization in this kind of thing, and and we use that a lot in our songs. The songs that we wrote together, we would we would harmonize a lot, and I really um, enjoyed playing music with him. That was really fun. We only did one like actual tour together, and that was right after this day forward broke up in January. Of- 2004 that was the only tour we ever did but we did play a bunch of other regional shows and we released one record together on one day savior records the same year that this day forward released in response so yeah that was the same year um that this day forward was still going that
0: we did that oh so that was parallel see i didn't even know that okay
2: it was i mean it wasn't like that wasn't like a real band that was just kind of like a side project thing but it's cool that it exists as a as an artifact you know you can you can find it somewhere we did a music video that you can find on youtube
0: I googled really and I saw the whole record up on uh, Robotic Empire. So now I can go back and do a deep dive into the discography of a demon.
2: Watch the music video; it's pretty. It's pretty funny. It, if if you go, if you YouTube um, "Superstitions of the Sky," uh, who needs Pennsylvania anyway? That's the name of the song. We're like play, We're like playing on some rooftop in Philadelphia, just being super emo, like. <laughs> It's just, it's like the stereotypical, like, early 2000s emo music video. Dude. I love that. It's like, you know, the concept's like a guy and a girl and they lose each other. And just, it's just some stupid shit, you know, but you don't watch it right now.
0: Watch it. <laughs> now. <laughs> so let's see. I, I re- now, you did a tour with uh, Colin, had his side project, Psychic Babble. So how how did you get involved with that? I guess just your history, right?
2: Yeah, that was awesome. I think... Colin just asked me um if I was interested because he was gonna do this one tour in promotion for his solo project called Psychic Babble, like you said, and uh, which on the album he played everything. And he wanted to put together a band to open a tour for Anthony. Um, you know, and, and that was I mean, that's actually a great idea because you already have so much circa involved. In fact, Brendan played in Anthony's backing band too. So I mean it was like you have three fifths from Circa already on the tour. And Colin put together a group of dudes that uh, he thought would make a good band. You know, he kind of handpicked everybody. So Drew from Dredge um, played bass, and then um, G- Greg. Remember Greg Miles to go? He was he's a Bucks County dude. He used to play in uh, Silence Builds No Beauty. So and Zoloff, and he he played keyboards. This guy Ben played guitar, who's in a band called Black Map now. Super cool band. It's like mem- members of uh, Far. And, and Dredge in that band also. So yeah, we just did one tour and, um, you know, Colin was so awesome to work with because, okay, so speaking from experience, if I if I write something, let's say I write a song that's completely just me yeah, and I, and I put it together, I record it, you know, I played all the parts or whatever. Maybe I remember how to play the parts, maybe I don't, but I wrote all these parts so they exist, you know, so here's the song as it is. Colin basically... Um, invited the musicians to come up with their own parts like here's the song but interpret it in the way that you see fit wow that's it so all the guys in psychic babble were just given the task of like okay here you go figure these songs out but you can figure them out however you want wow. play them however you want and then when we get together you know like we'll see what works what doesn't work or whatever and for the most part everything worked And that was just like incredibly cool for him to do that because he gave everybody the freedom to play the songs how they want them to be played. And then also that translated differently live from the record. It became its own thing rather than just being a copy of what it sounds like on the album. Um, And I remember for me especially being very thankful that he did that because I played in like really fucked up weird tunings. You know, I used like all these like weird... Ca- I think I had like three different guitars on that tour because I just kept like changing changing guitars out for different tunings and things like that. Um, so that was a really, really fun tour to do. And especially because at that point, I already wasn't really touring very much. That was probably my first one in, in like three years. Before that, I, I went to Japan with Taken. Um, so yeah, that was super fun to tour with with Colin and Brendan and Anthony and the good old war guys. Everyone,
0: Everyone on the same tour. What was it like playing with Colin again after all those years? was it just like old friends seeing each other again
2: well yeah, but it was I've never been on a stage with Colin where he's not sitting at the drum kit you know right like, so it was it was weird to have him be like in the front with us you know but um but that was awesome it was just so cool he he fit pretty naturally into that role um and we were i mean like for myself because I've been uh a a studio slash touring musician so much now, I kind of realize my role is more to just sort of like let the music happen, be more in the background. Like there, I'm not like trying to put on a show. Like, hey, look at me! It's it's more like here, this is Colin's thing. And I'm just going to I'm just going to play it as well as possible so that it sounds good for everybody and let Colin do his thing, you know, because ultimately that's his project. Yeah. it's like all eyes are on him.
0: And that's a hard lesson to learn, especially coming out of the hardcore scene. My mindset used to be like the more insane of a spectacle I make on stage, like the better it's going to be. And I did that in like many bands I was in. And you, you got to have some restraint. There's like just the right amount of finesse and, and showmanship to throw into it.
2: Yeah, I just I definitely stepped back more and was the background guy. Which honestly, for the most part, that's my role that I prefer. Yeah. So, uh,
0: so you're touring with Poison the Well now. Now let's talk about that. How did that come about?
2: All right. So Chris moved out here about ten years ago. The Chris is the drummer, um, and I ran into him at a show at Chain Reaction. I think it was a convert show also. And so we, we had known each other for like 20 years. Well, at that point, it was less than that. But we met in 1999. You know, Poison and Well used to come up and, and they would play Pennsylvania all the time, as you remember, they and they stayed at the Shaw's all the time. Yep. So I knew those guys going way back. Now, Derek, um, the the original guitar player that was in Poison and Well for the first three albums, he's been doing a group called Slaybells Bells for a while now. So he doesn't really have... Um, too much time um so poison the well like you know they don't really have like a second guitar player um at least a consistent one you know so in 2016 they were going to do some shows and chris just asked me he's like hey would you have any interest in in doing poison a well and i i was like yeah of course that'd be really fun and so the rest of the band they had to kind of make sure I had think they had to screen me because <laughs> they, because they knew, they knew me, but they didn't, they didn't know me like as a musician, I guess. And so I had to make like a couple videos of myself playing some of their songs, like in what I think they're playing. Cause at that point I didn't really know if I was playing it exactly right. Um, and I think, you know, I passed the screening process. So then in 2016, um, we played a bunch of shows all over and that was really unique situation for me because we just flew from show to show. It was like, um, and there were three sets of shows. So there, there was like New York, Toronto, and, um, this festival called rock fest in Montreal, which by the way, was with limp biscuit and insane clown posse. So, and so my life is complete now that I've played with insane clown posse. I, I always said I should have just retired like right after, right after that. That's amazing. <laughs> Cause ultimately that's the number one goal is to play with Insane clown posse.
0: Do you think you'll get on the Gathering of the Juggalos ever?
2: <laughs> Maybe. I do want to tell this story really quick that's really interesting. So when we were done playing at the Rockfest in Canada, and we were at the airport, we were flying back to Los Angeles. I think I spotted, like, Dave Navarro or something, because Jane's Addiction had played. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, people are flying back to wherever they're from. But, you know, we're flying to Los Angeles. And, and so I board the flight... And in first class, I see Perry Farrell sitting next to Dee Snyder. So, you know, Jane's Addiction and Twisted Sister both had played the festival. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. But then, as I'm walking through um, the back of the f- the plane where, where we're sitting, <laughs> I see, like, there's members of No Effects. Like, I'm sitting next to the drummer of No Effects. Then there's, like, dudes from Lagwagon, dudes from Strung Out, dudes from Corn. All these bands and we're just on a flight like all these degenerate rock people and then just regular families and their kids just like such a great rock and roll moment. And then and then we did um South Florida and Chicago. So and then and then we did three California shows. So that was in 2016. And then there was no um communication for a long time cuz everyone kind of has their own stuff going on in poison the well. Everyone's spread out across the country. There were two guys in Florida, one guy in Chicago, and then me and Chris are in California. Now there's three guys in California. Ryan moved. So in 2020, when it had come up again, I got a phone call, and you know, Chris just said, "Hey, so," or maybe it was late 2019. He called me and said, um, "Hey, so we're going to be doing um, opposite of December stuff, and are you interested?" And I was like, "Well, hell yeah, because that's you know, like that's the record that if you're a Poison the Well fan." that's the unanimous album that like everybody likes, regardless of if you stayed with them throughout the years, you know, everyone liked opposite of December. So I was like, okay, I know those shows are going to be awesome. Yeah. And there was always a question of maybe Derek hopping back in to do something, um, which, obviously like 100% yes. Like if that came up, like, you know, I'm not going to argue with anything like that. Like he's, you know, he's like the, he's their guy who was in the band. I'm just, I'm just like the, your, your fill in guy. So there was the potential of me doing, cause we, it was two sets. It was like a set of just opposite of December and then a set of like all the other songs throughout the career. And so I was going to play maybe the, all the other songs. And then Derek was going to hop on and do opposite of December. But, ended up where he couldn't do it. And so I did all of them. But now there's all this other stuff planned for this year. And, you know, they had asked me if I want to continue. So it's pretty cool. Cause I get, I guess like, you know, I, I wouldn't know if they would ask me again to play every time they do shows, but, um, it has been the case. It seems, it seems that I'm now sort of like their go-to guy and I'm not, I'm not in the band. Um, I'm just, I'm just like a hired guy type role situation which i know is weird to hear from like a hardcore background but honestly like it's totally fine you know i just i just show up i play the songs i I hang out with the guys we all get along um really well and it's a great situation to be in
0: that's awesome how does that work do you get like a flat rate per show or something
2: yeah um you know they kind of offer they tell me like hey this is this is what we can pay you. And it's like, I've never like negotiated or anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just like, yeah, that's fine. You know, like, I'm, I'm down to play. I, the the last show, the opposite of December show we did at the El Rey in, in January, I really wish there was more than one show only because like I put in so much time prepping for that show between just home rehearsal. And then I think we did like 10 rehearsals with the band and it started with just Chris and I, and then it was like me, Chris and Ryan. And then like, you know, like the bass player, Brad and and the singer flew in like a few days leading up to the show. And then we did three practices on the stage of the venue. So we, you know, we were like getting dialed in for the sound for the show itself. So if there was like so much prep that went into it. Um, it would have, you know, it would have been cool like to do a second one. But we have all this other stuff planned for 2020. So hopefully we get to play it with everything that's happening in the world now. And we'll see if it gets
0: canceled or not. Yeah. So um, how how are you able to so quickly jump into these bands and learn all this stuff? Like I have this recurring nightmare where... I'm at a show and they're like, we need you to play the, the set now. And I'm like, oh shit. Like, I don't know how, I don't know what I'm doing, but you, this is your life. You do it. Are you like classically trained in music or do you have like a masterful ear or both? Like how, how are you able to do it?
2: I've had that dream too, by the way, Keith, I've even had it with the Stay forward reunion where like, oh, we're well, forward. We have a reunion. And then I'm standing on the stage and I'm supposed to start like white, white picket defense system or something. And I just don't remember what I'm supposed to play. Right? Yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, fuck, this is the worst. Um, well, uh, I'm not classically trained. I do have a lot of um, music theory background. I grew up singing in the Philadelphia Boys Choir. Um, I played in all the school, like concert bands and jazz band and orchestras. And I, and I studied music theory in high school. I, I didn't do it in college or anything like that. But but yeah, I mean, I've tried to be well-rounded in terms of, like, understanding what it is I'm actually doing as opposed to, like, oh, play the, you know, power chord on fifth fret here. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, well, that that power chord is actually, like, an A5, you know, it doesn't have its third in it, and doesn't have its third in it, which allows it to be a major or a minor chord, you know, like, um, th- those kinds of things, like, um, and, and it's really helpful for... Um, speaking to other musicians that also have a musical theory background. So I found I played best with people that I can communicate with musically easier. Uh, but as far as, um, you know, you said stepping in quickly into these roles, it's not as quick as you think. I mean, I'm, I'm a, a learner, the best through repetition. And so I practice the shit out of these songs. It's not like I go in there and I'm like, Oh, I got them all in like five seconds. You know, like I, I, I really take, the time and practice them over and over and over and over again so that it's more like muscle memory, you know, cause then when, when you're on the stage, you can more concentrate on enjoying the experience rather than constantly thinking about like which part is next or, or something like that, you know, right. it's, it's, it's always been a lot of planning, a lot of, a lot of preparation.
0: So now you mentioned a This Day Forward reunion. Let's let's talk about that. No. I didn't I didn't mention.
2: <laughs> oh, in my dream. In your dream. In dream. <laughs> since
0: yeah, since didn't, you brought didn't, it up. Did he mention it? Um, Mike Mike now in Mike's Mike Shaw's episode, he wants to will a Equal Vision Fest into existence where a bunch of Equal Vision bands past and, past and present would play. And then This Day Forward would potentially play that show. But but let's hear let's hear your side of this. Has there been talk of a reunion, and do you think there ever will be?
2: Ah uh, the the juicy the juiciness. This is what you've been waiting for, huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there has been talk, um, but there's been talk throughout the years. It's just um, you know it's getting everybody on board. I think um, before. Before this happened, um, this meaning the coronavirus, it did seem that there was more talk than ever. Um, You know, I don't want to get anybody excited or anything, but it it seemed like it could be a possibility at some point, you know, but um, the obstacles have always been the same and the obstacles will always be the same, which is Mike hasn't screamed. You know, he doesn't have that voice that he once had. And um, truthfully, I don't know, um, I can't speak for him, but I don't know if, if he can get that voice back. And and he'll he'll be the first to say it too. Like if he tries to scream, like he'll lose his voice, he'll get hoarse or whatever. And it's also not really him, um, which I completely understand like 100%. So to play a lot of that, this deforward material where Mike can scream Is difficult because that takes out that aggressive element of the band which a lot of people were attracted to initially you know Mm -hmm. um and then the the other large obstacle which i think is the the biggest one is colin hasn't played drums so he was the drummer in this day forward and since circus survive he's been a guitar player you know he he played drums on an early circus survive demo that i have and that's literally i think the last thing that he played oh no he i guess he He maybe did some drums for the Psychic Babble record, but he doesn't have a drum set. He doesn't have a a space to practice drums. You know, he he needs to build up his endurance, uh, let alone like remembering the music. So for him, it's going to take like at least a month or two preparation on top of practicing with us. You know, it's going to be much more work for him and probably costly for him as well. Plus, like, you know, if we did a show in in Pennsylvania or in the East Coast, like he would have... We have to rent everything because he doesn't have his own kit. you have to so there there's a lot of um a lot of things like that, but um all in all, I think um I think that people are interested in doing it uh it just has to be under the right circumstances, and we need to have the right amount of time t- to do it properly.
0: I think it's just not time yet, I think it will happen eventually, but it the, it just has to be the perfect timing and yes it, it, Colin's gonna have to relearn the drums and i told mike he just needs to it'll just have to be like a rocky training montage where he's doing like cardio and running up (laughs) mountains and and he i you know i have faith he will be able to get where he once was he told me he sang one of the songs like at full volume he was by himself somewhere and that that he got it so i think i think it's just you know you, you gotta like get back into it
2: well, you're like the, you're the trainer here, right? Yeah. Aren't you? <laughs> you're, yeah. This is my you're undertaking. The, you're the, you're the Apollo here. Like you need to get this shit going. Keep I
0: am. I'm going to be running with him on the beach and then we're going to jump in the air and hug each other. And then Mike will be like tomorrow. And I'll be like, there is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. <laughs> like it's. And
2: then it goes right into the, for the love of song. Right?
0: I, I hope so. Please cover it. It's going to happen. Well, Vadim, uh, I mean, this has been awesome. I, I was really looking forward to this interview. Is there is there anything uh, else? Is there anything you want to close with or something uh, we didn't talk about that you want to mention?
2: Is that okay? Can I can I, I do want to bring up one thing. Um, so so I didn't really want to talk about the coronavirus. I wanted to kind of keep it out of, of the interview, get people's minds away from everything that's happening. But I will just mention it for a second because... It's um, it's given me a lot more time at home, and um, the way that I'm coping with this, or the way that I guess I, I, I'm helping pass time, is by doing music. So I just dove really, really, really heavily into music. Um, I put out a feeler online about uh, doing collaborations. And I want to extend that to the listeners. If anybody is interested in doing any sort of collaboration with me, I'm o- I'm open to all styles of music. I'm a multi-instrumentalist. I can sing. My weaknesses are drum programming and writing lyrics. <laughs> Those are my weaknesses. Um, but if anybody wants to um, to try to do a collaboration project, please get in touch with me. And that, of course, includes the two of you. Hint, hint. Hey, hint, I, hint. I, I was thinking
0: about that. There's a couple Basement Year songs that I, I just never got to uh, do anything with. And I I, I think I definitely am going to be in touch with you. to We'll make a B-side, one of our own.
2: Yeah, please do. So if, if anyone that's listening is interested, um, you can contact me on my Facebook
0: or my Instagram. And I see Tommy flipping the camera to some guitars there. Tommy, do you have uh, something you're going to collaborate on Vadim with as well?
1: I have guitars and... I have my daughter's keyboard with all the notation written down on it. Oh, yeah. Nice.
0: I have have stuff
2: still. You got some grandpa guitars.
1: It was funny when you were mentioning mentioning it before, you were like, oh, yeah, you know, like, after I was done music, I was like, all right, I really want to, like, keep doing music. And I had, like, the exact opposite. Like, as soon as I was done music, I was like, all right, so that's done. Let's not do that anymore.
2: (laughs) Dude, I have,
1: right now, I
2: literally have 10 projects that are open with random people from all over the place. And, and, uh, and it's just so awesome. Cause it's giving me um, a good perspective on like p- you, where people are mentally. And then um, a couple times now I've returned things to people that they've given me, like stuff that I've built. And they're just like, this is why I love music so much. Cause I heard something one way and then what you did with it just took, took it somewhere completely different. And that's kind of like what I want to get out of it. I want to I want to push musicians out of their comfort zones. I want to do um, I want to push myself as a musician to do things I've never done before, and also just to have fun and to be able to have an artifact from this time. You know, a lot of people are just so like watching TV and playing video games, and it's like, well, at least I'm doing something where I'm going to be look look back on this ten years and be like, oh, look at all this crazy stuff that I created during this time or that I helped create. Um, so that's kind of my intention with it. That's that's why I'm doing it. That's all. I just wanted to mention that.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you did because that's that's kind of the whole mission statement of this whole thing that we're doing is to catalog some of the memories of the past and new memories as well. We still go to shows. Uh, we're still writing music in some sense. And, you know, we just want a place for everybody to connect now like we did back in the day.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the interview, guys. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun.
0: There you have it, folks, the Vadim Taver interview. We hope you enjoyed it. Please reach out to us, northeastscene at gmail.com, or we are on Instagram and Twitter, vne Scene. Reach out to us, share your stories, share your experiences, tell people about the podcast, listen to the podcast, and stay safe out there. Stay indoors. Thank you, and until next time.